and welcome to part two of the Young Women Feminist General Conference recap for October 2014. Uh, if you've listened to the first episode, you know I have with me Jennifer and Catherine. Uh, we've been talking about the women's session, the Saturday morning and the Saturday afternoon sessions of General Conference. And in this part of of the podcast, we're going to be talking about the priesthood session, with both which both Jennifer and I attended in person at our local stick center, and we're also talk about the Sunday morning session and the Sunday afternoon session. So, without further ado, let's jump in. Jennifer, um, why don't you share a little bit about what your experience attending the priesthood session was like? Sure. I attended the priesthood session in my local stake, the Mount Vernon, Virginia stake. Which is also my stake, for the record. <laughs> so we attended together. Yes, that's actually the first time I met Julia. Um, it, was, it was great because um, there are um, a few people in the stake in the area who, who are sort of supportive of, of ordained women and wanted to go, and there were a lot of people I hadn't met before, some people I had, but we, there were seven of us in total who went to the stake center. Um, we knew in advance that we would be um, welcomed, of course, uh, with the, the little speech that stake presidents and bishops were, were encouraged to give people who are coming, which is that the priesthood session is a meeting primarily for the men, and we were encouraged not to stay, but could if we wanted to. But after a bishop gave us that little spiel, we were welcomed, and I, I didn't experience any sort of negative reactions to my being there. You know, it's a little bit strange to be that starkly in the minority. I know there are a lot of people who experience that in in different contexts, but it definitely stood out to me that this was not a space where where women were expected to be. But, you know, some of the men there did shake our hands and, and chat with us a little bit. It was a good experience. So what were your reasons for wanting to attend the priesthood session at the local state mm-hmm. center? Um, I think it goes back to something that I talked about um, when we were talking about the general women's meeting. And when you asked if I had a low for that, I I said that the meeting itself and the content of the meeting was really wonderful and spiritually uplifting for me. But it's um, always very difficult for me to um, sort of see these markers of the structural elements of the church that put men consistently um, in a place of control over women. And the priesthood meeting has some similar markers for me. The fact that there is a meeting which women are not allowed to be present at. And it doesn't work the same way with women's meeting. Um, there were there were men at, at the women's meeting to help out with, you know, setting up chairs and that sort of thing. If a man shows up, there's not um, any policy that says he shouldn't be there. In addition to that, of course, the meeting is presided over and keynoted by men. Um, so we have men in control of the women's meeting and women excluded from the men's meeting, which um, to me just reinforces that structural hierarchy where uh, men are sort of placed over women. I honestly, I wanted to go to the meeting to do what I can to show 
that I think things should be different. I know that the, you know, the things that I heard in the meeting that were spiritually uplifting to me, those are available to me if I don't attend the meeting and I appreciate that. And so um, that's not necessarily the reason that I was going. I really did want to show that, that I think we should be closely examining the organization of the church and how that relates to gender. That's great. Yeah, I have many of the same reasons for why I chose to attend. I really wanted this first type of action post you know, soliciting in Salt Lake at the doors of the conference center or the tabernacle. I wanted this first action to after that to be impactful both to the people to myself but also for the people around me when this was first announced that this was you know the the um, encouragement from ordained women to attend and your local stake centers I was really nervous because I just moved to this area um, and although my bishop knows that I'm pretty unorthodox, he doesn't know much about me beyond that. And so he doesn't know um, that I've attended previous actions. He doesn't know like details of my feminist ideologies, and n- neither do any of the other ward members. So I was nervous about... I felt like this was much more of a personal, um, per- much more personal than attending in Salt mm-hmm. Lake. This was very close to home. It was um, more of a, hey, there are people who think this way and believe this way in your congregation, mm-hmm. and we're your friends. Um, you know, you see us every Sunday, so let maybe think twice or three times when you're discussing these issues in the Mm -hmm. ward uh, because we're here I thought that that was important beyond you know obviously the be taking a stand on exclusion I I just thought it was really important for our our local congregations to put a face um, and a, a, a local face to this movement and to these thoughts and to these feelings. Um, It's easy to see the articles about Salt Lake and say, well, that's a small group of women and they're not my problem and I will criticize them ad nauseum because it's so, like, divorced from where Mm -hmm. I am. And it's another thing to do the same when they're right in front of you and they're people that you know. So that was one of my, that was one of my main reasons for going there. And in fact, um, my bishop was there and he saw me when he was walking on his way out and he was very nice and shook my hand and said, Oh, you know, I saw your husband earlier today. It's good to see you. And he left. I can tell he was a little bit uncomfortable, but um, there was no, I didn't feel any animosity or, to be honest, shock yeah. from him <laughs> that he saw me there. Um, so if the, if that was the only thing that it accomplished was, um, you know, reminding people that we are we are there's we're everywhere and we're not just this amorphous body. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that was a mission accomplished for me. 
Yeah. I also echo some of the, the same sentiments as you did, Jennifer. Obviously, we had a very similar experience. Um, you know, the, the bishop of one of the wards in the stick met with us, told us, you know, the, the, the little blurb, and then we were sat in. We sat in the same row. We sat in the very back. But every time some uh, man would come in or out, he would see this row of women sitting near the back. Um, and we were like in a lit area. It was not darkened around mm. us. So it was not difficult for people to see us. And obviously, I think we stood out from the white shirts and dark suits. Yeah, I was surprised how how much I felt like I stood out. Um, I, we all were sort of wearing bright colors because purple and yellow are ordained women colors, and a lot of us um, sort of ref- reflected that in our dress, and that is a stark contrast from a room full of dark suits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I noticed a lot of double takes. Um, I think there were a couple of older gentlemen who may not have had smiles along with these double takes. I won't, I won't, not going to attribute grimaces, but I could definitely see some wheels <laughs> turning behind their glances. Um, but, you know, as you said, there were no negative comments. There were no... No, I didn't, I didn't um, feel unwelcome. I, um... I, I felt like there was sort of a need to state the official position that this meeting isn't really for women, but, you know, once, once that was out of the way, I didn't really feel unwelcome. Um, I, yeah. I also wanted to say I haven't attended um, an ordained women action before except for um, the vigil for Kate um, during her disciplinary court um, so I, I've never been at Salt Lake with sort of the very um, kind of public eye action. Um, and so I, I didn't have that comparison to make. But one thing for me that I found is that when priesthood session was first made available um, online, I... Uh, I sort of thought, well, I'll, I'll still read it later as usual, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that when it came to it. I felt like I had to watch it, had to be there, um, and sort of the same thing this weekend. I, I wasn't sure if I was going to go, um, but <laughs> I think sometimes with some of the doubts and the questions that I have, I start to think that it's not worth it to participate in these things, um, whether that means actions or, or just, you know, um, church services in general. Um, and one, one thing that, um, that the ordained women movement has done for me and, um, that some of these actions have done for me is I feel like it's, it's brought my attention back to my religion and, um, you know, through all the doubts, through all the questions, there's something about those moments, um, when we're coming up against some of this deeper doctrine and ingrained policy and, um, some of the 
questions at the heart of the way our our church runs and the way that we teach the gospel, something about that pulls me back in every time. And um, I think that has a lot to do with with my decision to attend. Yeah. Well, I um, I actually don't have like a profile on Oda- on ordained women, um, and I won't go into all the reasons for that now. But I could not be more grateful for what ordained women has done for women in the mm-hmm. church and for fe- Mormon feminism. I I just think that it's been incredible, and both personally and just on a gar- larger scale. Um, so even, even if for some reason I decided, and this isn't going to happen, but even if for some reason I decided that women should not have the priesthood, (laughs) (laughs) I would still participate in ordained women actions because it's such a powerful, uh, demonstration of female empowerment, um, and people are taking notice and changes are happening because of it. And one of the changes you just mentioned was being able to watch the priesthood session online, which has not been available before. It was, you know, the Release Society and the Young Women's session had been available previously online, but the priesthood session was this much more closed door to um, non-church members and women and it's ordained it's because of ordained women let's be honest it's because of ordained women mm-hmm. that it's it's where it is so um i'm so grateful for that okay do you want to talk about the actual content of the priesthood session um sure i i don't really have a a low but i have a a, a little high um, if you want to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it, I don't, I didn't even write down who said it, but I think it was President Eyring talked about, um, preparation for priesthood. Um, yes. and related the Aaronic priesthood to mortality if the Melchizedek priesthood is eternal life. Um, and... This actually is more symbolic for me as well, but um, I feel like there is an awareness that the women of the church, at least some of the women of the church, are are lending a closer ear to um, priesthood session talks the past couple of conferences, um, and particularly uh, Mormon feminists are. And I, I kind of felt like taking a minute to talk about preparation for the priesthood was a, um, a nice thing to do because even, you know, even if for, for some reason beyond my understanding, women are not intended to have the priesthood in this life or at all, um, I think that it's valuable to be talking to the entire body of the church and not excluding anyone based on gender about how to prepare um, to use the power of God or to be, you know, a tool in God's hands, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a positive side of his talk. I was disappointed, however, in his talk that he's talking about everyone supporting um, the young men 
getting the Aaronic Priesthood, and he not once mentioned mothers or any women in the church actually supporting young men <laughs> getting the priesthood, which I thought was not only exclusionary, but totally naive, which made it feel like it was an intentional exclusion because everyone knows that, and the church emphasizes that women have such an impact uh-huh. on their their family. And so for him not to even say like, understanding that even if people aren't attending this in per- even if women aren't attending this in person they can watch it online they can watch it on later it's printed in the magazine which is for everyone it just seemed like a huge gap for, yeah. me, for it not to even be a, a mention in the talk yeah i've never i've never heard a a talk uh skip a chance to reference the mothers of the army of Helaman, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't even think of that on, on Saturday, but that's that's a good point. Well, I have a high and a low, and it's within the same talk. Um, Elder Cook spoke about choosing wisely, um, and he talked about how we spend our time and being, he quote, he referenced Elder Bednar talking about being authentic in social media and how we consume the incomplete lives of others on social media. So people put their best foot forwards on Facebook, Instagram, um, and we look at that and think that it's their whole life and then we feel bad about ourselves mm-hmm. while simultaneously putting out a false presentation of our own lives um, all the while uh, feeling that pressure to keep up with everyone else. Um, I think that that's, I found that insightful and inspirational to talk about, uh, make, like looking at the choices and it heralds back to Elder Oaks's talk of, uh, several years ago, the good, better, best, you know, where are we spending our time? And he actually quoted or referenced Elder Oaks's good, better, best talk. The downside, my low in this talk, however, was um, he did some single shaming where he <laughs> said <Yes. laughs> that some people, he quotes, some pe- um, so I'm reading this as a quote, some people profess their goal is to be married in the temple, but do not take date temple-worthy individuals. To be honest, some don't even date, period. You single men, the longer you remain single after an appropriate age and maturity, the more comfortable you can become, but the more uncomfortable you ought to become. Please get anxiously engaged in spiritual and social activities compatible with your goal of temple marriage. I think that just puts... (laughs) I mean, there may be some people who are indifferent to relationships in the church um and but there sure are a lot of people who are not indifferent and already feel this pressure Mm -hmm. and i don't think that that helps and i think it undermines the value that single people add basically saying you should be uncomfortable if you're single in this church and i thought that was was a totally wrong message yeah can i say something about that actually of course um as as a single woman in the church who's sort of like the counterpart of, of you know, these men that, um, that he's talking to, sometimes I feel like um, it's really easy for me to lean on some of these uh, harsh words that the, that the brethren have for 
young single men in our church, and um, I don't think it creates healthy dating dynamics. Um, I really, I really think that um, I have at times found myself incredibly resentful. You know, when uh, when I look around at um, at some of the men around me and think, well, you know, I want to be dating and. And the brethren are telling you that you should date. And, you know, why am I not going out on dates? And I want to, like, like push these words on the men. And I just, I think, I mean, I think I've gotten better about it over the years. But I think it creates some really horrible, unhealthy divides between men and women. <laughs> I'd actually like to uh, comment on that, too. This is Catherine. Um, I am from a very small ward that has both young couples without children and young single adults and we the young single adults in our state hosted a YSA conference and and we've done this for a few years and this year we had an area authority come and he asked if there was anything we wanted him to talk about or not talk about and I clearly and directly asked him to not speak about marriage (laughs) because we're all so fatigued about all this you know um you need to get married and and be uncomfortable and and the underlying message there is that you don't have a permanent place in this church until you have a spouse Mm -hmm. and i and that can be really damaging and and i think that um to hear that again was i hope that people could dismiss it but I doubt, you know, I, I think that it's more damaging than dismissible. Yeah, it was definitely a, my low of the priesthood session. That said, I actually found many of the other talks very uplifting and um, surprisingly, well, I shouldn't say surprisingly, but at the end, that was obviously the third session that day. And on the East Coast, it's from eight, it starts at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. I was really tired. Yeah. So I was surprisingly uplifted, not because of the messages, but because of my own personal um, fatigue that I thought it would be difficult to pay attention and to get much substantively out of the session. Um, but I thought that the, the the messages, particularly Elder Uchtdorf's talk entitled Lord, Is It I?, where he talks about, um, and I referenced this a little bit in the last episode, where he talks about um, looking at our own failings and foibles before we judge other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I really related to Buchdorf. As I said, he speaks to my heart <laughs> every time. I thought that talk, this is Jennifer, um, I thought that talk was particularly apt um, for me attending priesthood session and sort of having, um, you know, some of these questions and I feel like um you know I I have a lot of friends I enjoy talking to to about this stuff and we take each other to task and I think that's actually great um but I think that when things get a little bit controversial it it is apt to think you know is it I like am I keeping the spirit here am I um doing this the right way and and I think that that um sort of inward focus um, rather than, yeah, rather than going for the 
the moat in the other person's eye is um, is something that, especially at this time in our church, is important to think about. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on. Recent session check. Okay, Sunday morning session. We had, in this session, we had um, Sister McConkie speak, who was only the second woman in the general sessions to speak. And last. Uh, yes, and last. What are some of your highs? Uh, Catherine, I'll start with you. What are your highs from Sunday morning? I actually really enjoyed Sister McConkie's talk. I think she spoke with a lot of authority. I think oftentimes, not necessarily in general conference, um, there's a tendency to kind of defer to the men. Um, And I think that she really held her own and spoke with a lot of conviction and authority and 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 kept my attention um said things that spoke to my heart and i and i think that it was um a really lovely and powerful reminder of of what prophets are and you know she one of the things she says was that um prophets are messengers of righteousness witnesses of Jesus Christ and the infinite power of his atonement. They hold the keys to the kingdom of God on earth and authorize the performance of saving ordinances. I think that it it's really um, interesting to hear a woman speaking with such authority on the priesthood and the keys that a prophet holds. Because uh, usually we don't hear from women on that topic. Yeah, absolutely. I think this plays off a little bit of my low of the Sunday morning session. Sure. Is that um, although she spoke with, what you said that um, usually women are deferring to men, and I feel like the substance of her talk was in its entirety about how we need to defer to men. <laughs> I would agree with that, actually. <laughs> I would agree with because that. men, prophets, are exclusively male. Right. Um. And I felt like this conflicted with a high from an earlier session, which was Elder Christofferson's talk about um, our moral agency and um, thinking, making sure that we have um, the right authenticity and integrity behind our actions. Um, This and the talk right before her, Elder Nelson's talk on um, sustaining the prophets, both of these talks in a row felt very um, heavy-handed and almost contradictory to Chris, Ms., um, Elder Christofferson's talk, you know, where it says, where she quotes, the Lord himself has spoken, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. And anytime people use that quote, it seems to emphasize to me that we need to accept carte blanche what our leaders are saying. And that just had a huge disconnect to me, especially coming on the heels of Elder Christofferson's talk from Saturday. You know, I, I am actually really glad you, glad you brought that up. I thought the, the combination of the talks on Sunday morning, I thought that they were very pointed and directed and very almost orchestrated, or exactly that they were orchestrated to... Um, sustaining of the prophet and and you know on, i know on twitter there was a lot of talk about is this are are we getting an you know an address about the rumored 
dementia um, for of President Monson? Are we, you know, what is this? Is that what's happening? Are these reminders that he's our prophet no matter what? Um, and I and I think that it is interesting how. Um, a lot of things that are said in conference will contradict things that were said in earlier sessions. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that you're right. Like a lot of the content of her talk was very much, you know, uh, straight and narrow, follow the prophet, no questions. Um, and that is a problem. Um, yeah, this tension definitely stood out to me in this session as well. Um, and I actually, um, like, like Catherine said, um, or I, I apologize if I'm putting words in your mouth, but I felt like you were getting at this idea that, um, that part of, part of the purpose of having all of these talks about sustaining the profit is, um, you know, possibly to address some of the things that people have been saying about the prophet and other apostles that, um, that are maybe not kind or, um, or true, or certain, um, and, and I actually did appreciate this session for that, um, and even for, I don't know, I, it was, it was emphasized to me that as much as I think it would be great if, you know, if at a certain point people could choose to become emeritus apostles or something like that. Um, I, I felt like I was getting almost a spiritual confirmation during this session that, um, that this is something that these men are, are willing to take on, um, even being old and often infirm, um, and that they are capable of you know, of continuing with what they're doing. At the same time, um, there were moments when I thought that um, that I went too far in that direction. And in particular, um, in particular, I think it was Elder Nelson. Correct me if I'm wrong. Who talked about how the 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 prophet and apostles don't live in a bubble, um, and and that sort of defensiveness just strikes me as unnecessary, especially contrasted with, I think we talked a little bit about this last time, but um, contrasted with Elder Holland's willingness to acknowledge what he doesn't know. Um, and so, you know, there were, there were times when the fact that these men are called of God was affirmed to me, and then there were times when I thought, but even though you're called of God... Some humility is is always good, which you know who am I to call them out on that but um but it, those those were my feelings at least um i I did like though this sort of build up of talking about the role of the prophet and why we have prophets and how to think about that um sort of building up to this beautiful talk by President Monson about um, pondering the path that we're walking and and walking in the footsteps of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the big, there were three talks about Jesus. <laughs> three of the six talks were about Jesus and the atonement. Um, 
So that's that's always a high for me when we get back to gospel basics and mm-hmm. we're focusing on living a Christ-centered life. And I love I love when um, when we talk about the sacrament just because um, it's it's something that that we do so often taking the sacrament um, and uh, I think that in general um, deep thinking about some of the more present or mundane or frequent things in our lives um, is positive. Um, but the sacrament is also holy, and I, I just like to be reminded that we can bring that into our lives so, so very often. I also appreciate any conversation or discussion or reminder of the sacrament and the atonement and the life of Christ, and any time we, I, like like it was said just a minute ago, any time we get back to those um, foundations of the gospel, I appreciate it a lot, and it's always a positive for me, too. Okay, great. Sunday morning session, check. Um, <laughs> now, before we move on to Sunday afternoon, I wanted to just back up one second about and discuss one issue with the priesthood session that I failed to mention and this is something that actually came up today uh there the opening prayer in the priesthood session was given um by a member of the 70 and in the beginning of very beginning of his prayer he said we're so grateful to open this fourth session of the conference and so the priesthood session is the fourth session of conference only if you count the women's session mm-hmm. as a session of conference, um, which is not the official title of the women's session is called the general women's meeting, not the general women's session, just for clarification. Mm-hmm. Um, he, so he said it's the fourth session and that coincides with what elder Uchtdorf said during the women's meeting that we are opening this general conference and, we will continue to hear from our leaders over this conference, uh, implying, um, I think pretty strongly implying that the women's session or the women's meeting is a session, general conference. Okay, so that's the backstory. The thing today that's been a little bit of buzz on Twitter is that LDS.org posted an edited version of the priesthood session in which they edited out the word fourth in the opening prayer. So the opening prayer on the LDS.org, now, he now says, we're so grateful to open this session of general conference and not the fourth session, which mm. is problematic for, I think, for... Whoever it is, I you know I'm not attributing that this came from the top, uh, but someone went in there and edited the video and then reposted it mm-hmm. um, with this edited version, and it is not in the ed- so the YouTube version is not edited because it has a date stamp on it, mm-hmm. um, but the LDS.org version is edited. Can I ask? A- I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I no, just, no, no, go ahead. Why, 
what is so important about, you know, the, the consistency in that, that it's necessary to go in and edit it? Why is that so important to someone who's in charge of this? You so... Good. Oh, yeah. Um, well, do you want to finish your question? Because I... I well, yeah, I, I just... And it was, it's kind of, it's kind of rhetorical. It's kind of, you know, um, I, I think that, that either it is a session and, you know, because the way we talk about general conference is that it's a time to hear from our leaders and our prophet and to receive personal revelations for our lives and hear about the things that matter. And either, either it is a session and, um, the things that are said there to directed to women are as important as the things that are said in any other session or it's not a part of general conference and it doesn't matter as much I mean I think that's what I get from it at least mm-hmm. um, so so I I know that general conference is is often edited, and there have been some higher-profile instances of that um, in the past, but I think there are also a lot of low-profile things, and I think I think that often consistency is a, a large part of the reason, but in this case, um, the thing that's, that's difficult for me is and I'm I'm not going to pretend that it's not important to me whether you know whether women's session or whether the women's meeting is a session of conference or not. I think um, it's hugely symbolic um, to call it an official session of conference. It gives much more weight and importance to the meeting and um, implies that the talks are for the entire church. Whereas, Catherine, I think you're right. If it's um, if it's not a session that that's sort of a a subtle blow at at you know the value of women in the church um and of and course the value we have, of words directed to women yes as well and and the value of women's words um for men or other people who may not have attended the session in person right cuz that's where more women mostly speak is in the women's session. Right. <laughs> more more women speakers in the women's session than in the rest of it combined. Um, but the thing that really gets to me here, actually, um, isn't necessarily the fact that it is a session or that it isn't. I noticed throughout the conference that different people use different numbering um, at different times, and everyone seemed a little bit confused. Um, and so... Yeah, Catherine, like you said, this edit seems to be about consistency, um, which to me, editing a prayer for consistency, like especially in, in um, the LDS church where prayers are not written out in advance usually um, and are sort of like a, it's a heartfelt moment of, of um, thinking of of what you and everyone that you're praying with um, would like to th- thank and ask God for and, and think about. Um, editing that sort of speech for the sake of consistency seems almost too controlling, especially considering 
that we don't actually know yet. There have been, you know, implications. There have been no official statements on whether the women's meeting is an official session of conference. Um, and sometimes I think that I would like for the church to sit back and not know for a while about some of these questions that we're asking ourselves, um, and in particular Absolutely. about gender roles. And um, I think I think it's okay for us to say we're in a time of flux. You know, we have some eternal doctrines that are really important to us, but um, but we are an earthly organization as well. And we're not perfect. And sometimes we don't know. And sometimes we're a little bit inconsistent. Um, and we don't have to, you know, it almost feels like a microaggression, like telling women that uh, we don't really think you're as important. And if... Right. If no one had gone in and made that edit, I don't think anyone would have thought twice about it. We definitely wouldn't be talking about it today. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I don't understand the church's desire or, you know, whoever it was. I, I don't, like I said, I don't know exactly who made the decision to edit this, right. this word out. It may have just but, been one person... Right, right. But we're, I mean, prayers aren't printed. This, you know, it's just such a offhand, never to be repeated. Like, the only way you're going to hear it again is if you watch the entire session. If you just watch certain, like, the talks, you're not going to hear it. It's not printed anywhere. It's still available on YouTube in its original form. Right, (laughs) right. It just seems kind of meaningless, ultimately, while also. Um, taking a jab at, at the women's session in general, just right. It's so it's so meaningless in its like results in the yeah. result of editing, yet so impactful in the message. Yes, the symbolically, it's um, right. Yeah, and I think I think um, was it Jennifer who said that I wish the church would just kind of be okay with inconsistency for a second. Um. I I think that that is such a great point that, you know, this is a church of human leadership and valuable people. And if we don't know that whether the women's meeting counts as a session or not, it's okay. <laughs> but, but to go in and, and to just make that decision and take it out um, because of because it's an inconsistency, because it doesn't match perfectly with everything that's happened, it just seems weird and unnecessary and like somebody made a point they were trying to make. Mm-hmm. Right, an agenda. Um, now, I will point out the Elder Uchtdorf's remarks about the in the women's meeting about opening conference have not been edited. Um, they are intact both in video and written form so take that for what it's at least we have that at least we have that okay let's move on let's talk about the sunday afternoon session we um this was (laughs) elder ballard's talk about if you fall out of the boat we will find you um which i thought was very you know lend itself to 
I immediately thought about the internet memes that this <laughs> talk would would yeah. generate, and I was not disappointed on Facebook <laughs> shortly thereafter. Um, and you know, old ship Zion and and the, the stories that he was telling. I thought that that was um, entertaining. I guess I should say about the from that was the entertaining point from that talk. Um, what are your highs and lows? Catherine, I'll start with you. What are your highs from Saturday afternoon? I'm not really sure. I Saturday afternoon I was definitely burnt out. Um, yes. It was. It was interesting, and um, and I don't know that my attention span was as as good as it needed to be for you know for truly soaking in everything that was there. Um, so I don't I don't know I don't really know what my high is right now. Um, There's no shame in like going back and reading talks. In fact, that's right. what it's that's what they're there for. I right. will also admit that I I was total conference fatigue by the time we got to the session. Um so um Elder Ballard's talk was the first talk of the session. I don't think I could tell you much about the subsequent talks. But right. I think that sometimes I get more out of talks in print personally because there's something about um the way you know kind of different different people present them very differently but there's something about like the slower the presentation or uh certain voices certain things i just can't i just tune them out completely and so some things i do respond better to in print right and as um we talked about whether the it was in the saturday sessions um there was one part in Elder Perry's talk that I felt a lot more emotional reaction to at the time, and then rereading the talk had a slightly different reaction, right. which you know I think is valuable in and of itself to to go back and read. I I did appreciate. I believe it was Elder Packer's Elder Alan F. Packer, um, his talk about family history and temple work, and this is just a really small thing. But he um he quoted a a hymn, and he changed one of the he changed the word to make it uh, gender inclusive. Yes, um, and it's he so changed small. It from men to saints. From men to saints. Yes, the saints of God rise arise. I think. Yeah, and and you know he prefaced that by saying this is the work of God to be done by members and non-members alike, young and old, male and female. Um, and and I think that's really, you know, despite kind of the, the technicalities and the obvious things getting in the way of that being totally true, I think that it was a really hopeful thing for me to hear and a really cool thing to, um, to have that happen in conference, to have... Um, the men change to saints because, you know, we're all we're all part of this work. Yeah, it's nice to have someone recognize that men is not mean everyone. You know, like people right. can just assume that when you say men, women will automatically include themselves or anyone will automatically include women in that calculus and it's just not true. So it's nice to have someone recognize that. Yeah. I really appreciate that. It's not it's not a huge thing, but I you know, it's one of those 
that's probably my my high for this session. Awesome, Jennifer. What were your what's your high from the session? Um, so there was one talk in particular that stood out to me during this session, and it was "The Lord Has a Plan for Us" by Elder Carlos Godoy. Um, and this this talk, you know, as I think is often the case stood out to me for positive and negative reasons. Um, largely, it was interesting and productive for me to listen to. Um, but Elder Godoy talked about um, changing his life plan once he was a little bit into um, his adult life, which um, for me at this time in my life is a a relatable um, question of how how can I take this good life that I'm living and make it better and work toward doing the best thing that I can possibly be doing. He again quoted the good, better, best talk. Um, and the positive and the negative for me here um, were, you know, were maybe a fork in the road, two possible ways that I could have interpreted this. Um, and um, I think it was really productive for me to think through, but um, on the negative side, I think that good, better, and best can often be applied to reinforce a culture of perfectionism and reinforce this idea that, like, no matter how good you're doing in your life, it could always be better, and you always have to, like, be on your own case. Um, and I think that can cause... Um, I mean, I, I know for me, that kind of pressure can cause um, paralysis in making decisions. But it took a little bit of a positive turn for me with this talk because um, because Elder Godoy was specifically engaging with the process of decision making. Um, and one thing that stood out to me, and I'm not sure if he explicitly stated this or if this was more in my analysis and interpretation or, you know, some kind of spiritual prompting, but, um, but I started to think about it as when we think about the levels of good, better, and best, you can sort of look at it in reverse of what I just described and think about how even though it's always possible to, to progress and make and meet another goal in your life that will make it better and it's um, it's a good thing to be looking out for that you can be at the good level already and you know then there's no shame in that and that when you stop and take a breath at the good level and and look around at the decisions that are going to enrich your life um, you have an opportunity to do something to care for yourself and and make your experience on this earth better um, and that's what really ended up sticking with me in the end. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that makes me want to read it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually just liked hearing right. his personal experience um, with his young family and this um, exciting idea of maybe going to school in the United States. And he was, um, he made some good jokes. It's, it was a fun talk, I thought, to listen to. I have a, I have a, a question about a talk that's just kind of, I just want to kind of open it up. It was the talk by Elder Catcher called Trifle Not With Sacred Things. Mm -hmm. 
And I just, I'm not sure that I have an opinion on it, whether it's a high or low, but I just kind of wanted to ask what you guys think, because he, he made a comment, there was one that, something that stood out to me was talking about how to address questions that come up when, you know, when you're building your testimony or, or as a member of the church. And and I, and there's, so there were parts that I appreciated that it was, uh, you know, does this mean that there is no room for honest inquiry? Ask the young boy who sought refuge in a sacred grove wanting to know which of all the churches he should join. Hold the doctrine and covenants in your hand and know that much of what has been revealed in this inspired record has been the result of a humble search for truth. As Joseph found out, if any of you ask wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth the almond liberally and it shall be given him. By asking sincere questions and seeking divine answers, we learn line upon line, precept upon precept, as we increase in knowledge and wisdom. Um, which is great. I really appreciate the you know that he he brought up that this the the Joseph Smith story, the the foundation of our church is the product of honest inquiry. But um, you know, then he he also says, but. Don't ask if it's okay to ask questions. Ask where do we turn when questions arise. And then talks about um, going back to the scriptures and like doing those, like going to church and reading your scriptures and saying your prayers and being like those, those very Mormon things. Um, and I just wondered if you guys have an opinion on, on that or, or if you had anything that stuck out to you about that talk. Yeah, one of the things, so he basically admits that he has the shelf that, you know, so many people in the church have a proverbial shelf upon which they place issues or questions or um, discrepancies that they have or have experienced within the church mm -hmm. in the church history, sometimes in doctrine, gospel, print, like organization. Anyway, so he basically admitted that he has this shelf and rather than... Let, he says, rather than allow the questions to destroy the peace and happiness that had come into my life, I chose to set them aside for a season, trusting that in the Lord's time he would reveal all things. And then he goes on and says that um, President N. Eldon Tanner said that it's wiser for man to, ex man to accept simple truths of the gospel and accept by faith those things which he could not understand. So he basically set up this structure saying, look... I had questions. I didn't let these questions get in the way of me believing in the church. I put them on the shelf, and that's where they're supposed to stay, and I'm just going to accept them. Yeah, we can ask questions, but, you know, we ask them of God, and it's okay if we don't receive answers. And I think for some people, that is going to be a really bolstering, supportive mm -hmm. um important concept. I think for a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot. I think for some other people, including myself included, we've done the shelf thing. Right. And it's not working. And so it, this wasn't helpful. And in fact, I think that it sets up this uh, almost unachievable standard imposed upon people for whom the shelf is not working. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, now other people are going to be 
giving this counsel to us mm-hmm. <laughs> where you're like, you know, I have considered that I have done that. It's not working out for me. What do I do now? And he actually uses the phrase cut off from the powers of heaven in regard to someone who turned away from the church after having questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is why there's, there's sort of been space for, for more resources on what to do when you're faced with doubt. Um, I know that near the top of my to-do list right now is um, ordering the new um, Tara and Fiona Givens book, Crucible of Doubt. I can't wait. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think, I think for me, um, I've pretty much stopped expecting too much help from from sources like conference talks. And I, I think sometimes that's how it, you know, like, like you were saying, um, Julia, I think for a lot of people, sort of a, a basic affirmation that, um, that looking to certain sources within the church for answers to questions and um, not really looking for answers to questions that you can't answer with those sources is sort of what what they're looking for. I really would appreciate um, a little bit more nuanced discussion of it, but in the past couple of years, I've I've just had to start looking to other sources, and sometimes those other sources are the scriptures. Um, and Job is a really good place to go to explore the question of why you should continue to be loyal to God when it gets difficult, right? Like there there are a lot of um, a lot of resources that are within our canon that aren't explored in, in great nuance um, over the pulpit. I think that, yeah, the, the shelf pattern has not worked for me. It has not been beneficial. It's, um, it's only when I've started unpacking my questions and, and kind of accepting that... I don't have answers for everything, but I don't have to hide the fact that I don't have answers for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, ac- accepting that and and just making it part of my faith and my testimony and how I practice my religion um, has been much more eye-opening and fulfilling than saying, oh, you know, we're not really sure. We might find out one day. So don't worry about it. I think that's incredibly dismissive of completely valid and legitimate questions that that arise. And to say, like, ask your questions, but make sure you ask them in the right place, to the right person, with the right context. In the right tone. In the right tone. In the right tone. Don't, don't, like, don't encourage anyone else to have the same questions. Um, you know, so just, just as long as you ask your questions, and, and, you know, and, and kind of silent pain you're good and and keep it to yourself that yeah and that's that's a little more negative than I intended to be but I think it's it can be so much more helpful to say you know your your faith is okay as it is questions and doubts and uncertainties considered don't put them away because they're just going to fall off again. Um, I think that that I would love to hear that. I would love to hear from the pulpit that my my testimony is not less valuable because I have questions that go along with it. Mm-hmm. 
It's like what President Uchtdorf said on, on Saturday morning, right? That right. We, we don't really have a, your testimony needs to be this tall sign. <laughs> right, yeah. No, I think there has been some of those messages coming, and then I think there have been some of these messages coming. I wouldn't necessarily say they're contradictory. I would say they're, it may be counterproductive to have both <laughs> both coming at the same time. But For me, it's hard to say whether you know it's good to have a variety of, of approaches because we're such a diverse church and people are going to be coming at this from a lot of perspectives, um, yeah, or whether true. it's more like, well, but... But sometimes things become exclusionary, um, and I did feel, in, in particular with this talk, the riptide analogy um, made me feel a little bit excluded, um, because I, I just, it was implying that if I'm going in a certain direction, I'm in control and being away from the church, and um, I think, I think to, to validate the questions that people have rather than demonizing them... Um, and and I just use pretty strong language, um, and I, I don't I don't know um, Elder Kacha. I I have no idea how to pronounce his last name. Actually, I don't know that he would, uh, that he would not validate a variety of questions. Like I'm extrapolating a little bit from the top, but but I did feel a little bit like there was a possibility that my questions could be wrong. And I think that's an unhealthy attitude to have about anything. Yeah, I agree completely, um, which is why I, I kind of brought talk up because it had highs and lows and, um, and could be very important and validating for people who, who you know, maybe are encountering questions for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a it's a really scary moment when you are, but it's also kind of exclude, like excluding and isolating isolating for for those of us who kind of doing this for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the question asking part. Okay, so we've had some highs, lows. Anything else to add about Sunday afternoon? We made it. <laughs> We made it. Check. Yay. Well, this was, you've set the record for the longest podcast episode. In fact, I think both parts of this episode are the longest episodes I've done. So congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great. We had a lot to talk about. And I think that we um, covered some really important points. And I think this has also been a really interesting discussion for me, too, as I reflect on the messages that have been shared and, and the points that really did touch that touch me and that really inspired me to go forward. And as well as, you know, the, the needs improvement parts <laughs> as well. And, yeah, and I think that there's um, some room for... Um, needs improvement among my own attitude a la Elder Uchtdorf's Lord is it I talk yeah but yeah I I I felt that way too I um throughout this conference you know I I had my moments where things got a little bit difficult for me but I um it was sort of 
like affirmed to me a few times that this is a, a mutual process of reconciliation with some of the questions that are happening within the church at the moment. Great. Well, thank you both so much. I really appreciate the time that you have spent with me um, and the insights that you have shared with me and our listeners. Uh, you've been very generous, and I appreciate that. Uh, and for listeners, thank you for sticking through both episodes, or both uh, parts of this episode. I hope that you got something out of it, and I hope that you join us next time. <laughs>